Welcome, everyone. I want to say a prayer so I can get centered and we can preach. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have given us this day. We are so thankful for this time of year that we celebrate Easter. It is the reason that we gather each week on Sunday, for it is the Lord's Day, it is the day of resurrection. But we're not quite there yet, Lord. We ask that you prepare our hearts for this season. This is the day that you entered in to Jerusalem as King and as Messiah. But so many things would transpire between today and your crucifixion. Lord, help us to understand how so many people could turn on you in such a quick amount of time. And Lord, show those things in our own hearts that if we should do the same, that you will rid them, that you will give us faith, a strong faith, one that will stand by your side no matter what. It is in your name we pray. Amen. And today, if you were expecting to finish up with the book of James, I'll finish it up for you. If you will turn to James chapter 4, verse 8, and it's not on the board because I didn't give it to him. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you, your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God. There's not a better symbol of drawing near to God than celebrating Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, is it? And so today we are going to look in Mark's gospel in chapter 11. So James was done if you missed that. <laughs> and we are going to ce celebrate the entry of our king. But now I like Mark because Mark's a little hard to read. If you've ever just read the letter through or the gospel through, you'll understand that it's not one of the friendliest gospels to the disciples or to really anyone reading it. And it seems like it's missing a lot of the story. Have you noticed that? If you read through Mark, we cannot celebrate Christmas, can we? Because we have no birth story. We don't have it. And if you're reading a modern translation, and you'll notice at the end of Mark, we really don't even have an ending. Look, I, I challenge you to look this afternoon. There's three different or two different endings that you can go with. And most modern translations will point that out to you. Why is that? Well, a little history on how the Bible progressed through history and came to where it is today. We know that the Bible was handwritten to start with. There was an author that put pen to paper, but as the message spread, other authors, scribes, would copy those letters and those Gospels and the Old Testament stories onto other pieces of paper and preserve it. Some were kept in the temple for the Old Testament on scrolls. Some were collected and they were passed around for different churches, but every church kind of wanted one. You didn't have an individual copy, let alone a pew Bible that everyone has access to, and we also put it up on the monitor. They didn't have that. It was an expensive endeavor to get you a piece of paper that had the Scripture on it. Well, there was an interesting fact. So let's picture this. We got a group of monks and, and we got a, a, a priest or a pastor who is preaching these words and reading from them. And so here's what happens sometimes is they will make a little note off to the side to remember to explain something. 
And in the end of Mark, there's not seemingly an ending, but we also have what? The other two synoptics, we got Matthew and Luke. So we know what happens after the resurrection. We know that. We have Acts and the history and all this kind of stuff. So maybe some preacher or, or uh, scribe along the way added himself a little note to remember this is how we explain this passage. Well, you're hand copying this over and over again. Well, sometimes you just got tired of writing the little notes off in the margins and you just stuck it right there to begin with. And then the next person who wasn't realized that was a, a scribal notation just copies it as scripture. Several hundred years pass and now this has become what you have. Translations become into different languages in English and all this kind of stuff. And now it's written as how it was. But in the original text, back to what Mark wrote by his hands, there was an ending to the chapter. It would have been equivalent today to a comedian or some kind of speaker in more modern terminology of saying, you know, Jesus was raised, boom, drop the mic. I mean, that's how the story ended. It wasn't wrapped up neatly in a bow. There was really no beginning. That's why some scholars have referred to the Gospel of Mark as really a passion narrative with a really long introduction. Because that was the central importance of Jesus' life. It wasn't about his teachings, although they were great. But there have been many other earthly teachers who have been inspiring leaders. It wasn't about the healing, for there have been other healers in history. It was always about the cross. Some other theorize that the reason that Mark was so short, that it was really an early uh, missionary tract. If you had this gospel, you had the gospel in a nutshell. Easy to remember, easy to share, easy to leave, easy to copy and leave a copy with a starting church. So this early missionary track, as some see it, the way I like to think of it, central theme was the cross and the resurrection. What came before Jesus wasn't nearly as important. What came after Jesus wasn't nearly as important. Jesus' early life wasn't as important as this one week, this holy week. This is how the gospel is crafted. In the beginning, when Jesus heals someone and they realize that he is indeed the Messiah, this one sin of God, what does he say? Don't go tell anyone. But what do they always do? They go off telling everybody. I mean, how can you keep that a secret? But Jesus seemed to want to keep his identity kept down until this particular week. And so now, let's look at the scripture. Let's look at chapter 11 in Mark, and we are going to read the first 11 verses here. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethage, and to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, Go to the village opposite of you, and as soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has set. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way, and they found the colt tied on the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing this colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. 
Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and they sat on it. Many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went to Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he looked around at the things as the hour was already late, he went out of Bethany with the twelve. It's kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? I mean, we have Luke and Matthew's version of this event or their perspective. So why does Mark seem to leave out so much stuff? It's kind of hard to say, isn't it? Well, let's look at the perspectives. Well, let's look at the context of our Scripture, because we know context is everything. Jesus has just healed blind Bartholomew. Bart, we'll just call him Bart. Blind Bart. And a new vision of a kingdom is starting to take place. And he's entered Jerusalem like he has before, but this time it's different. He, enters, he tells his disciples, go get the, the donkey, tell them this kind of thing. Very simple. They do it. They're obedient. Get the colt. We don't even know if this is a donkey, do we? How do we know that this is a donkey? Well, from our other stories, we, we, we have it fleshed out. And also from the illusion of Scripture. If you will, join, turn on the slide for Zechariah uh, 9.9. And I'm not going to flip it. I'm going to look up here. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, just, as, just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fold of a donkey. Prophetic saying... Jesus is doing this, but Mark doesn't connect those dots for the people. We don't even know that it is a donkey. When you say colt, most people immediately assume a horse. So we have to put our stories together to get that information. So why is Mark not connecting the dots for us? Because he is painting the picture of Jesus as a king, coming into his kingdom. The blind now see, and they see the kingdom purely, See us as it should be. And so Jesus, not necessarily as the Messiah as it's laid out, but Jesus the King. When I was in construction, one of the major parts of my job was inspecting houses. How do you inspect a house? You look at it. It's pretty simple. You just walk in and you look at the different parts. It's not hard. You just have to know what to look for. And so I always had a pattern. I'd walk in the door, I would do uh, clockwise around the house, so that way I didn't miss any wall. You went through an open, you came through, you always did a clockwise pattern. You wanted to look at everything. You did that, whether it was in uh, the ground stage where you're pouring foundation, whether it was in framing, whether it was in drywall, whether it was in your finishes. Always the same pattern. Because you don't want to miss anything. And so this king now is coming in. The people are proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna. And we have this image of him entering town as the king ready to inspect his kingdom, because that's what they did. When a foreign power conquered you 
and the king came into town, they didn't come in just to look around and say, hey, look at me, I'm your king. They came in to expect, inspect the kingdom to see what they needed to do, to see how they could set up their authority. And so when we look at this context, next things that happen, Jesus goes out and sees a fig tree and curses it. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. It wasn't to be your best friend, your buddy. Like this song, What a Friend I Have in Jesus, a great song. But at this point in his ministry, it was about his authority as the king, coming to inspect his kingdom. And his kingdom begins in the temple. It says he goes in, he looks around, and he leaves. His inspection was complete. When I inspected those houses, I didn't have the families that would be moving in with me. I looked at the nuts and bolts and all the things that went together so that I could see the problems and have them fixed before I brought in the new owners. Because when their houses were ready, it needed to be perfect. And so Jesus comes in inspecting his kingdom, inspecting his temple to see what needed to be done. But he brings judgment of those who would corrupt it. He brings judgment on those who are in charge. And then later he comes in and he turns over the table and he cleanses it. He preaches judgment as he inspects through his actions on the people. But he also cleanses it to get ready for his new reign, his new authority. And so that day, as he enters town, it seems like everybody was getting it right. All right, so let's picture Jerusalem, ancient city, getting ready for Passover. It's a very important time. It was the time that most Jews wanted to try to make a pilgrimage if it was all possible to the city. And so for the only ones that did not celebrate a pilgrimage were the ones who actually lived in Jerusalem as their hometown. And so all these Jews from all the various tribes, even from the diaspora and stuff, were coming into Jerusalem if they could. This was a very important time. The population would swell to some say uh, three million people. A lot of people, isn't it? Some estimate that was an exaggerated number, but still, it was a lot of people. So think about coming from your little small town, Florida, and now going over to Dallas. One day, Florida, next day, Dallas. That was the kind of swell in population. So much so that there wasn't a room for them. So many lived outside with family members and friends. Jesus was not an exception. Unless their family member owned property inside the city, they probably stayed somewhere outside, either camped out with their own traveling group or with families and relatives that still remained in the area. All kind of excitement. During this people, the people were excited because they knew God was about to do something for them, and they looked for this Messiah. And now this Jesus, who for the last three years had ministered somewhere in and around the vicinity, was coming to town. I mean, healed blind men, made the lame walk, raised the dead. If this wasn't going to be the Messiah, I wouldn't know who would do it. But they saw in the eyes of nationalism... It is a problem that has plagued the church over and over through history. You know how Hitler did it? Use the church. And many in the church let them use it because it was good for their country. 
What have we compromised? Why did so many who welcomed Jesus in turn so quickly from him? Well, there's two kind of faiths that we see here. We see this self-centered kind of faith that Peter, James, and John, the ones that I hope you all know by heart, they saw power and authority. Peter, who got it right, who said, Jesus, you are the Messiah, would deny him three times in the week ahead by a little girl as he warmed himself by a fire. Huh. James and John get in an argument because they want to be the first and second seat in the kingdom. They didn't understand Jesus' role. The people who laid out these palm branches didn't fully understand Jesus' role because they were looking through the eyes of nationalism. They were looking through the eyes of what's good for us, these self-centered eyes. And when Jesus was not that person that they thought he would be, they abandoned him. Think about it. If you take your coat off and you lay it on the ground for a donkey to walk over because of the person sitting on it, you think you committed, don't you? And these people were in it. They were in it to win it, but Jesus doesn't want to win it the way they did. And so, the self-centered faith, when Jesus was not the one who was going to oust the Romans to set up the earthly kingdom that would once again be the shining example to all the other nations, one in which the Egyptians would marvel over all of their beauty. They didn't want him. But then there's that other kind of faith, that inadequate faith, that faith where the seeds were sowed in the shallow soil, where it sprung up quickly, but because it had no root, it withered when the sun came down, when the trials of life entered in. Peter was there too. He had a growing faith, but it was still weak. Where is our faith today? Can we proclaim, Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of my life, and whatever you command, I will follow. I hope all of us can say that. We can all have that kind of faith when things were going good. When Jesus was coming in triumphantly, marching into Jerusalem late in the afternoon, we ought to be there waving our palm branches, throwing our cloaks down, doing all that kind of stuff. Because that is what he deserves. He deserves the royal treatment, the red carpet, all of these kind of things. But if our faith is weak and inadequate, what happens next? They diagnose us with a sickness. They diagnose our family, our friends with something. Tragic loss of a loved one. Name your trial. Last week we sung the song, everybody's going through something. When something hits you, is Jesus still Lord of your life? Is your faith built on the prosperity gospel where as long as you do good, good things will happen to you? Well, guess what? Sometimes you can do good and bad things happen to you. Do you lose 
your faith? Is it strong enough to persevere for less than a week? Can it make a week's time? So we look back. We fulfill the words of the prophet. We even feel the psalms of the ones that would have been singing it. These pilgrims would have been familiar with Psalms 118. And let's look at it. Maybe we'll look at it. Might have left it off. There we go. It says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Psalms 118, 26. The words of their own psalms and hymns that they would sing in worship were familiar to them, especially in the time of pilgrimage. This was their heart song. This was the, the heart, heart's going to be on this side. This was their song. This is what they were singing because they were ready for a deliverer. They were ready for one who would take them out of the bondage of their overlords. This was a song of their heart. So when it looked like this man came to town, let's just go to this one. There we go. So we're going to stay here for the rest of the sermon. When it looked like they had someone who would deliver them, the songs that were already in their heart became the song on their lips. But they saw it through the eyes of selfish ambition because they saw in Jesus a deliverer who would bring them back their country. When the going get rough, and there is a systematic form of oppression around you. And it doesn't seem like there can be anything you do as an individual that will change things. What do you lean upon? Do you lean upon your government to solve all your problems? Do you lean upon the laws to protect you from evil? Where does your strength come from? If you first think we need to pass some laws and this will never happen again, or we need to set up committees to form a, a finding project so that we know the best way to go, it should come from the Lord. The people of Israel have gone through this over and over. If you've been in Sunday school, you've been going through the book of 1 Samuel. It is a period of transition. It is a period where they go from a tribal state into a nation. God was their king, but they wanted an earthly one. Samuel saw, he saw what it would be like. He saw that if you ask for a king, the king will rain down taxes, burdens, and script you for service. It will do all these things, but they said, no, that's what we want. It works for the other guy. It's going to work for us. You know, we're not like them. We'll make it work. I always find it ironic. Our country broke away. Revolutionary war for taxation without representation. 
Well, we may be represented, but we sure have taxation. We didn't really gain anything on that end, did we? So if you're looking for the government to solve your problems, you're looking in the wrong place. While the government is important, the Apostle Paul will say that it is God's institution, that it was set up for the benefit of all. But just like all institutions, all earthly institutions will eventually fail. We are no longer under a king. We call this thing democracy. And we know the downfall of every great democracy is when people learn to vote for themselves, when the people become selfish and stop thinking about what's good for everyone and start thinking about what's good for me. We see that in our politics today. We see how people only want what benefits them. And if you don't agree with that, then we oppose you in entirety. So how do we get back? How do we get back to that place? It is through the power of the Spirit that teaches us. And for Peter, it was through the cross. For James and John, it was through the cross. And those who would follow him today and quickly leave him, it was through the cross that many of them were redeemed. So that's why we look at the Gospel of Mark as a passion narrative with a really long introduction. Without the power of the cross, there can be no kingdom of God. The kingdoms of this world will pass away. No great superpower has it stand the test of time. Some reign for thousands of years, but they are now in our history book. And believe it or not, these great United States, which we love so much, will eventually pass in time if Christ does not come back first. So where is your kingdom? Where is your authority? Have you given it to Jesus through the power of the cross? Or do you just use him as a good way to show you, to show the culture that you're a little bit different? It all comes through our individual decisions, but we are corporately bound together through the one cross. We may not be able to agree on everything. We may have arguments at time on what brand of toilet paper to buy for our church. It's happened. But we are grounded in the cross, and that is where our power and our authority comes from. And it comes through a servant leader who not only came to serve and to wash the feet of his disciples, but who was willing to give up his life for others. And it is through giving up his life that he gained it that he conquered death. So, if you want to conquer death, you must give up your life. You must give up your life to yourself, to your weaknesses, and give it over to Christ. Because it is only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we can overcome this. So as we celebrate Palm Sunday today and Christ's triumphant entry, let it be a reminder to you this holy week that it is a king who came and he inspected his kingdom and he found it wanting. 
let us inspect our own lives. And if there is something that takes God's lordship away, that we have given it to someone else, let's let him reclaim it. Give it back. You may have denied Christ, but he can heal those wounds. He can give you back your calling. You may have been vibrant in your faith, but yet walked away. Let him reign in your heart again and you will reclaim it. This is why we celebrate today, because Christ indeed is King. Join with me in prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your Son. We are so thankful for this week and this time. Lord, please prepare our hearts, because you paid a debt that we never could. Let us truly value the greatest gift that was ever given to humanity. And that is your love and your son. Lord, if we are like those who praise him today, but abandon him later, strengthen our resolve so we may stand firm that we may grow. Because every faith, no matter how strong it is on this side of heaven, still has a ways to go. Be with us so that we may grow strong and give you total lordship of our lives. In your name we pray, amen.